fact that as a church, we're a family like that. You know, it's just great to be able to get involved and get supported. I so appreciate what people do here. You know, I do love being a part of Redeemer and just connecting with people. Okay, one thing I've noticed, now I'm kicking off on the sermon, which hopefully you've now found one, Peter. Just as I was getting ready for this today, I, 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 I was thinking about the fact that men and women are very different. Men and women are very different. So I don't know, and now the guys will say, Pete, we're not like that at all. But I've got three levels of getting ready. If Nikki says we're going out somewhere, there's three ways that I can prepare for, for going out. And I've got three S's. So basically, if she suddenly says, oh, we've got somebody coming around, my first S is spray. Just put on a bit of deodorant, and that's it. I can greet anyone that they come into the house. My second S would be this, new shirt. You know what I'm saying? I've worn this one probably for three days. No, no, just today. Somebody's coming around the house tonight, I'll stick a clean shirt on. But, and, and you know, if it was a wedding or something like that, and you're never getting married on, I may even take a shower. That is my three steps of getting ready, you know what I'm saying? So I suddenly think something's going to happen, I could get ready like that. I've noticed that ladies don't operate on the three S's. You know what I'm saying? And, and it suddenly, instead of it just sort of taking a couple of minutes, it, it could take a day. <laughs> you know, oh, come on, let, let, you know, we're going to go out now. No, we can't go out now. I need a bit of warning on these kind of things. It takes different people a different amount of time to get ready, doesn't it? You know, I think, guys, that's why when you propose, you probably need to give a, a year's notice of the wedding day. You see, if, if you're like me, it's fine. What do I do? It's three S's. Oh, it's a wedding. I'll have a shower. That's it. I'm ready to get married now. For, for our wedding, you know, Nikki, you know, she planned all the flowers and she planned, you know, what it's going to look like with the bridesmaids and the camera. And I turned up. <laughs> I know that we prepare in very different ways. Peter is writing to the church to say, get ready. Now, what I want to ask you the question is, do you get ready like a guy or a girl? Do you just think, oh, yeah, I'm ready? Or do you think, I've got to be a bit more intentional? I've got to be a bit more planned. I've got to be a bit more thought through. Well, we're going to read how Peter tells them to get prepared and hopefully take some lessons this morning. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. My Bible says, be holy. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For 
and this is a quote from the Old Testament, all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You've spoken to us so abundantly, so generously this morning. Lord, as we come and sing your praise, we're overwhelmed by how you would speak to us. We do go come to your word now and, and think, oh, we don't just want to treat this like some book, some paperback. We want to treat it as the living word of God. Lord, I pray that we'd hear from you this morning and that we'd live differently as a result. Amen. Therefore, that is how I kick this passage off, because that is what we said in the thing. The, the danger with any of this, if I'm really honest, and, and, and I approach this with some trepidation, is that I'm now going to preach a passage where actually all of us have missed the first 12 verses. Obviously, if you were here two weeks ago, you'd have remembered every single word. I think not. I probably should have started at the beginning. You see, the fact is that this letter was written to a church in its entirety. They didn't turn up and just take a couple of verses. What would happen is, is, hey, we've got a letter from Peter. Let's read it. And they read the whole lot from start to end to the church. Whereas I sometimes think, if I'm really honest, I approach these letters a bit like the lucky dip. When I was a kid, if you, you know, went to a church fair or that kind of thing, where they used to raise money for different things, you could pay 10p and they'd let you put your hand into a bucket of sawdust. I come from the countryside, okay? I'm not a city dweller. And you could, you know, grab a little sweet or some little prize and you won it. It was like lucky dip. I sometimes think we approach the Bible like that. We think, oh, we'll just stick our hand in. What's the first thing that I grab? I'll pull it out and take it. You see, if we understand, therefore, what we've really got to think is, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about what's gone on in the previous chapter. He's talking about the mercy of God. He's talking about the fact that Christ died for you. He talked about the fact you have an everlasting hope. He talked about salvation. He's talked about something that people have looked forward to for hundreds and thousands of years, the coming of Jesus. So that word, therefore, don't think even about this week unless you remembered what it's been about. Wow. I mean, we could spend the whole time looking at that. But we're going to move on. He says this, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Now, unfortunately, I've got a short sleeve shirt on, so it's a very poor demonstration. It doesn't work. But in some respect, if you think of this, what he was really saying is roll up your sleeves. You know, we don't tend to think like that quite so much. I guess it is a bit more of a manual job. It's almost like roll up your sleeves. There's a, there's a dirty job to get on. You get prepared for some action. Sleeves are going to get in the way. You know, it's almost like you could get hot, you could sweaty. Roll up your sleeves. You know, be ready for action. 
I guess what Peter is saying is, guys, girls, this is not armchair Christianity. I, I said to you two weeks ago when I started on this series, he was writing to a church that actually it's quite a tough situation. They felt on the margins of society. He's saying, look, it's not armchair Christianity. You've got to get ready for action. I don't know about you. I like the thought of action, but sometimes it's a challenge doing it, isn't it? I don't know if you saw the news item this week. There was a guy that cycled his rickshaw from China to London for the Olympics. I mean, unbelievable, this farmer, you know, and he's got pictures of him all the way. And now he's just trying to get a boat ride from here to America because then he wants to cycle from America down to Brazil. Yeah, it's national news, you think. Because we quite like somebody that does something adventurous, don't we? But if we're really honest, it's quite hard getting ourselves up to do it. So um, I am of that age where if I don't, you know, do a bit of exercise, I will be putting on weight. And so I do run. Try and run three times a week. But so easy for me to, to think, oh. So I try and go for a run on a Monday, maybe a Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. I can think, oh, I've got a bit of a cold, Pete. Don't go this week. Oh, dear, I washed my hair yesterday. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have done that because it wasn't a wedding. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> it's so easy to think, oh, no, I... You know, you, you might think, oh, I can't find my shorts anywhere. It must be in the wash. Oh, well, don't go. Oh, you're tired, Pete. Take a break. Now, actually, if I want to get exercised, I've got to prepare myself and go and do something. I've got to be ready for action. What Peter is saying to the church is this. The first 12 verses, they weren't numbered. Yeah, I'm just trying to keep you with me. The first 12 verses, this is who you are in Christ. That is your identity. But actually, your identity will be shown by your action. And so now I want to try and explain your identity in action. Walt Disney, I mean, let's be honest, we all love a good Disney film, don't we? The guy, Walt Disney, said this, the way to get started is to quit talking and to try doing. You know, he was saying, actually, if you want to achieve something, come on, let's stop talking about it. Let's do it. I wonder if that's almost what Peter would be writing to us now. Actually, quit talking about it. Let's do something. Some of you that would know the Bible were knowing James, another letter that was written in the New Testament. In James 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? How can your faith save them unless it's like working it out? It's a bit like, let's be frank, if I turned up here this morning and I said, oh, Man, I'm really concerned about planet Earth. I'm concerned. I've seen Singapore. I'm concerned about the smog. You know what I'm saying? But actually... Here's my six-litre guzzler. You know what I'm saying? It, I think it does a mile and a half to the gallon. <laughs> Anyone would just want to tour around the M25 this afternoon for fun? You'd say, you don't care about the planet. Look at the car you drive. Suppose I said, hey, I am a committed gooner. That's an Arsenal fan. I'm a committed gooner at the end of the day. But actually, I came in here wearing a Tottenham shirt. You'd say, you're not an Arsenal fan. No one is an Arsenal fan would, would behave like that. Suppose I said, look, I love my wife and my kids, but then flirted with another woman at work and never got home in time to see my kids. People say, look, your actions don't follow your words. And it's almost like, I mean, that, that if we're really frank, is what a hypocrite is, isn't it? Someone who says one thing but does something else. What Peter is trying to write to this church and saying, actually, I want you to prepare for action because this is who you are. This is your identity. Now let's work it out. It's a bit like saying, well, I'm a committed Christian, but I don't belong to a church. Peter said, come on, how do we work this out? 
You might say, well, actually, I do love Jesus, but nobody at work knows I'm a Christian. Peter would say, come on, let's work it out. Let's not be fake. I spent a long time last time, and I'm not going to go through that, because he then uses this word strangers. You see, Peter was writing to them saying, actually, you've got to understand that you feel a stranger in this place. You feel on the margin. You feel that because you, and it talks many times in the letter about being despised and ridiculed and mocked and, and whispered against. Now I want to bring the challenge. How do you respond to that? I think there's a couple of ways that we can feel that. And often we might feel that. If we're really frank, you think, you know, was it Tony Blair? You know, we, we, we don't talk about religion. I heard him give a talk after he'd finished being a prime minister and apparently he wanted to end a talk by saying, God bless you. And he was told by the civil servants of this country, don't do things like that. We're not America. We keep God out of politics here. And so sometimes I think even as Christians, we can have that kind of mentality. Our actions are, I'm going to hide. I'd like to form a little ghetto. I'd like to keep quiet. I'd just like to mix with other Christians that don't give me grief. I think that's one way that we respond with our actions. I think uh, the opposite way is that we get aggressive. And everyone knows what you're against. Oh, I can't stand. People have abortions. Oh, I can't stand. And people think, oh, well, what I know about these Christians is they're just so negative. They're just so anti. They just try and have a go at people. They just point out the ungodly thing. Oh, these drunk people everywhere. Oh, actually what Peter writes and says is this. People should see your good works, your actions. It says in 1 Peter 2, verse 15, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of the foolish people. Peter is saying you should so love the place where you live, you should so love where you're involved, that people are going to look at you and think your actions are positive, and it makes a difference. Jeremiah, he spoke to the, the people of God in the Old Testament when they were in exile, so they weren't in their own place. And he said to them, seek peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will too. I don't know about you, I've been, I've been living in Ealing for 18 months and I love the place. I genuinely do. I love living in West London. You know, people laugh at me because whenever they bump into me and they say, oh, where are you living now, Pitt? And I say, oh, I'm living in West London. I said, do you know we've got the oldest working film studios in the world in our borough? Oh, that's very interesting. And I said, did you know that the soil from the foundations of Wembley Football Stadium is in our borough? And they go, oh, okay. I said, and did you know Freddie Mercury, who used to be the lead singer of Queen, went to school in our borough? And they go, oh, right. I said, Peter Crouch, you know, the footballer, now for Stoke, used to be England, he, he went to school in our borough. Some of you that are Christians. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers, when he was in London, he lived in our borough. They're going, okay, yeah, I, I pick up your point, Pete, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Marshall Amps, I mean, any of you that are into a bit of sound? The guy who designed Marshall Amps, Ian Hanwell, ah, oh, bar. You see, I love the place. And people will say, God, are you just a walking advert for Ealing? Yep. <laughs> I think what a great place to live. But I tell you, actually, what I really think is, I want to make an impact here. I want my actions to flow out of my identity, to bring a blessing to healing. I want that for this church. I don't want them to think, oh, what are their actions? They hide away in the basement of the town hall. 
I wouldn't think, no, actually, we're here to make a big impact here because we love the place. And if we can't say good things about it, and if we can't be positive about it, we never make a difference. I think that is part of our preparing for action. It's almost a part of, yeah, what a privilege to live here. Okay, so how does Peter tell them to act? And that was, you know, by way of introduction. How does he tell them to act? He says this, be holy. Be holy. Now, I don't know about you, I was trying to think, when was the last time I heard the word holy? Outside of church, you know what I'm saying, because we always say these kind of things in church, don't we? I think the last time I remember hearing the word holy outside of church was when I was about 10, and it was the last time I watched Batman and Robin, the cartoon. Because he used to go, holy smoke. You know what I'm saying? And that was it's almost like that was the only thing I could ever think about. What does, it think of, what does it mean to general people when you talk about holiness? It means, I would say, to be set apart, to leave sin, and to live for God. Chester and Timis, uh, this guy that I uh, quoted before, they've uh, written a book, which I found very helpful on this, um, Everyday Church, say this. Holiness is as much about what you do on Monday morning on the factory floor as it is about what you do on Sunday morning in the church gathering. Holiness is as much about the kind of neighbor you are as it is the kind of church member you are. It is as much about who you are when holding a steering wheel as when you're holding the Bible. So they're just trying to say, well, actually, holiness is life. It's not, could I be good enough to get to church? You know, could I, what was it, shower, shave, or shirt, you know, to get to church? Oh, shave, there's a fourth S. Now, actually, what they're saying is, this is the way I live. Now, you might say to me, Pete, I think the thing about church is we're a bit weird. And people are going to find that a bit funny. I think it will put them off. Yes, church is weird. I mean, just look around. Obviously, I'm not talking about anybody here in particular. Why on earth are we here this time on a Sunday morning? Why are people volunteering to serve, you know what I'm saying, when they could be at home? Why do people intentionally welcome rather than stay in their own little comfortable cliques. Why are we giving away refreshments for free when we could be charging? They do over the road. You see, I think people must find this weird because we should be different. I think what being holy is, actually, it's being different to the world. I think if the church was the same as the world, why bother with the church? I think if all we did was try and copy the world, what, you know, what, what would be our distinctive? The more we become like the world, I think the less we have to offer. I think what he's trying to say is that actually you're to be holy. You will be different. Now you could just say, oh, are you just talking about a Sunday morning? No. You see, if all we focus on is putting on a good Sunday morning, what we create is another spiritual buffet. People just turn up and they'll eat on a Sunday morning and go. I think what he's trying to say about holiness and action is it's more about a lifestyle, which is why I like this quote. It's about a whole lifestyle of being together. When Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says in Romans 12, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member, listen to this, each member belongs to all the others. 
So I think what he's trying to say is actually, if we're going to be truly holy, it's not necessarily about what we do on a Sunday. It's about how we live our lives, the actions that we have throughout our life. In fact, I would try and say, and I deliberately read past the chapters because I just like to cause a little bit of offence, and I deliberately read past the title because I think the danger is we divide this up. But if we look at the theme of what's going on here, he's saying, look, this is who you are in Christ. Jesus died for you. I'm telling you to be holy. What does holiness look like? I am arguing this morning that holiness is expressed by our love for one another. The key verse I would say that we read this morning was 1 Peter 1.22. Now that you've purified yourselves, separated, make holy, by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply. Human beings want to be known and in relationship. I believe it's because we're made in the image of God. And we serve a God who's three in one because he's always lived in community. I think that's a huge difference between someone that says, oh, I've just got this one God. Well, I think then he's never lived in, in community, so he'd never express love because it will always be about himself. Our God's always lived in community. That's the God that we serve. I think that we are made in his image. We are made to be relational. I love this place, Ealing. But one of the challenges is we build so many flats. Now, you might say, well, that's a good thing, Pete, because it means the borough's growing. And I agree with that, because you know, that means there's more people here and there's more people to tell the good news about. I love that. The danger, I think, and I'm aware that people in the church live in flats, <laughs> I think one of the dangers of flat living is that we live in a flat, which is as close as possible to the station, so we can go to work and have our community and then come back when we're really tired and never get to know anyone. And so what we do is we develop a lifestyle which is individualistic and not about community. And so even some people here said, I live in a flat, but it's really hard for me to connect with a neighbor because we're always in and out. And we're never there at the same time. And I think this, this would be a challenge to our relational living. I would even go so far to say is that when you go to Costa, apart from a Wednesday night, which is great, do come, you're not going to buy coffee, you're going to buy community. And coffee is the price you pay to hang out with others. Because I think our society has become so fragmented that it's almost like, how on earth do I connect? And even if we're not talking to one another, and when you're going across the now, so many people are on their own phones, but actually there's a community aspect to it because we've become isolated. I think we are made for relationship and our life can drag us away. I think another thing that drags us away from that is that our desire for community is often outgrowing our desire for God. That's called the fear of man. And our insecurity makes exclusion scary. And so therefore we want to try and appease other people. And I think he's writing to them and saying, actually, I don't want you to get locked into these two things. I don't want you to get locked into, and I think another danger is that we become relationally shallow. We live on screensaver all our lives. We put our best photos on Facebook, where we've been and who we've met, but we never really talk our deepest feelings. Richard Foster, some of you would know, says this, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intellectual people or gifted people, but for deep people. Listen to me carefully. We are not saved to be on our own. But this is very hard to grasp in a radically individualistic culture. 
so even if I watch the news this week, and I'm, you know, I'm probably abusing it slightly, and some of you would say, Pete, that's a very shallow comment. But I look at the G8, and I think, do they really want to solve the world's problems, or are they all back in their own agendas? And I think that's our model of thing. I think about I've got, I'm getting really careful. I don't even got any Scottish vote with us. But you know, we have this vote on Scottish independence coming up next year, or whatever. And I think, actually, is that about me and my agenda, or what's best for us all? Let's be really shallow. The latest advert for the Golf GTI. I don't know if you've seen it on the telly. I did it my way. All sung by these different people in totally different. You know, you think that's the theme tune of our nation. I think it's requested now at more funerals than any other song. I did it my way. You know, there's almost this thing of, I can do my own thing. I think that can become a challenge in the church. I think we lose connection. We don't attend as often. We do our own thing throughout the week. What I want to say is that Peter is writing to them and saying, let the gospel, your identity, shape you more than your culture. And our danger is that the culture gets in and shapes us. So, okay then, what is our identity in Christ? What is the theme that he's talking about here? And I would say it's this. We are family. Great name for a song, hey? Someone's already done it before, so I won't break into it. But, you know, this is basically what Peter's trying to write to him. He said, come on, we are family. So 1 Peter 1, verse 14, I'm sure you picked it up, as obedient Children, do not conform to the evil desires. So he's writing to them with this terminology. 1 Peter 1 verse 17, since you call on a father who judges. Yeah? Even 1 Peter 1 16, he says, be holy because I am holy. I would say he's expressing family likeness. You know what I'm saying? There's this thing of we're, we're together. 1 Peter 1 verse 18, it says, life handed down to you from your forefathers. So I think what he's trying to make this image is actually the church is family. When I was a kid, you know, some of you think, golly, was it really like that that long ago? We always called the older men in the church uncle because it's almost like, well, that was the family way of doing it. And in fact, you know, a lot of people, if they introduce someone, would say, brother, brother Adam's coming up. You know, we, we don't do that now. We think, oh, I'll just drop the title as Pete. But I think, sister Shelley, we should slip it in, don't you? Come on! Now we think, oh, so we've not done it. But some respect, that's probably a bit more biblical because what they're trying to say is the church is this family. Augustine, the early church father, said this, you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. And our danger is that we try and say, oh, me and God, that's great. Me and the church, not so great. Mark and Abby turned up last week with their new baby, Levi. Levi was born on Friday. They came to church on Sunday. 48 hours later, some of us think they're mad. I wonder if Peter would say, well done. Because what he's saying is, you're expressing your identity. And this is family. Why on earth would you stay at home for a whole month because you've got a new baby? Why wouldn't you show your baby to the family? Because that's what we're like, isn't it? I bet Mark and Abby's mum and dad don't say, oh, I won't bother you for a month. They're going to be there straight away, aren't they? Oh, let's take a picture, because we're family. And I think that's what Peter is trying to express to them. And I think sometimes we said, oh, no, no, I'll get myself sorted. I'll stay at home. I'll look after the baby. When I'm sorted, then I'll come. 
when I'm no longer tired, and man, did they look rough last week. <laughs> when they say, I haven't got those bags under my eyes, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they think, oh, you know, when I can turn up and make it look like we're just a nice, happy family and everything's sorted, then I'll go to church. But actually what they said is, no, this is who we are. We're family. Why wouldn't I be there? You see, I, I would argue this because even the sins that Peter talks about, yeah, I'm trying to see the theme, and it's not Lucky Dip this morning, I'm trying to follow a theme to here. The, the, if I was thinking about sins, what would you say straight away? I'd say, oh, I know, murder, theft, adultery. When Peter lists the sins that he's writing to the church about, telling them to be holy, in 1 Peter 2 verse 1, what does he pick up? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Why is that? Because they all break relationships in a family. Malice means you hate, means you're bitter. Deceit means you're misleading, you put up pretense. Hypocrisy, living a lie. Envy, grudge, rivalry, jealousy. Slander is like a scandalous remark, belittling, a lie. All of those sins break down relationships in the family. And what Peter is saying is, come on, this is who you are in Christ, verses 1 to 12. He's died for you. He shed his blood for you. Be holy. What's that look like? It means being a family together. In fact, he talks about this word, and I mentioned it earlier, strangers. He uses it three times already in the letter. 1 Peter 1 Verse 1, verse 17, and verse 21. And actually, the word probably means something like this. Without house, without home, without family. So what Peter is saying is, you're strangers in this world, i.e. you're no longer part of the home, the family, the house. But actually, you're now being built into a living house. This is these stones gathering together. Now, the danger is, if maybe it's just me, we don't like the idea of we're living stones built together, do we? I mean, you know, when I was a kid and someone was a bit boring, you always say, God, that person's got the personality of a house brick, you know what I'm saying? It was almost a bit of a cuss, a bit of disrespect. And we think, yeah, I just don't want to be rectangles that are joined together. I, I, I was trying to think, it's probably a bit more like a grand designed home, you know what I'm saying? Unique, special, creative, artistic. It's not necessarily that, you know, we're these living bricks that are just stuck together. But actually, come on, we're to express our individuality together corporately, making this beautiful home that, you know, someone says, oh, great, you know what I'm saying? In the society to which Peter was writing, the Romans, they considered society like a family. In fact, some uh, historians reckon that Caesar was considered the patriarch, the daddy of society. Therefore, to become a Christian, you left that family to become without family. Because you no longer saw Caesar as your dad, because to see him as your dad, you had to call him your Lord. And to become a Christian, you said, Jesus is my Lord. And so it's almost like you've taken yourself out of the family of Caesar, and he's saying, then what you've done is you join the family of the church. Now, I think we need to be very planned and intentional about it. This is why we do tea and coffee. This is why, I, seriously, if you've not made a Wednesday night, I say, come on a Wednesday night. It's not necessarily about the teaching. I know Sam will be great on Wednesday, but it's because we're family together. That is who we are. This is why we're doing a picnic together in the park today. This is why we have small groups 
Chester and Timmis said this, church programs are what we create when Christians are not doing what they're supposed to be doing in everyday life. Church programs are what we create when we're not doing what you're supposed to be doing in everyday life. We are meant to be family. We, we, we initiate small groups because actually this is, this is really trying to trigger us to express who we are. I think also we want it to be life. We want it to be just spontaneous. So I'll embarrass Margaret, who I thought sang very well this morning. You know, I said I'd like to pop round and see her the other week. And, you know, I just invited myself in for a cup of tea. I'm just warning you, if you come to this church, I do do that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I'd like to pop round. I'd like a cup of tea, and I'm coming to your house. I mean, Jesus said it to Zacchaeus. I believe it's biblical. So I said to Margaret, I said, oh, I'd love to pop over to your house for tea. She said, oh, I'll do one better than that. I've got any sticking some meat on the barbecue. I said, I'm there. You know, I said, let's do life. I think we've got to be those that have that kind of way. Now, I believe that family is not just a maintenance thing that Peter was writing to people that felt on the margins of society. I believe that actually this expression of family does care for us, but I also think it's key to mission. You see, it says in 1 Peter 2 verse 12, I read it, live such good lives, sorry, I never got that far, just further on, live such good lives that the pagans, people that don't believe, that's the term that was used, Though they accuse you of doing wrong, may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I don't know about you, sometimes I think if, if I was God <laughs> and I really wanted to get people to understand how great the church was, what might I have done? Well, I might have got David Beckham to become a believer because, you know, oh, David and Victoria, if they go to church, oh, I'll go to church. You know, I might have had some role model. Or maybe, actually, bigger than the Beckhams is... It's to sing gang men's style, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? If a billion people worldwide watch that, if I could get this guy, you know, to say, well, actually, I believe, then I think, no, actually, what God says is, I want to create family. And if they can genuinely see their love for one another and their diversity together, they're going to think, wow, God is in this place. Jesus himself said in John 13, a new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. I'm sorry that I've overrun here. I'm going to conclude, and then the band will come back and lead us in a song. Hint, prepare, in place. (laughs) Therefore, prepare for action. I told you at the start that it's a bit like rolling up your sleeves. That was a little bit wrong. That was my interpretation of it. If you're one of these guys, it wasn't rolling up your sleeves. It was gathering up your skirt. In those days, they would wear longer tunics, and prepare for action was a term of almost gathering up your tunic, tucking it in your belt. Biblically, that was not because it was something you did. It was be prepared because God is going to do something. And often in the Old Testament, God said to them, gird it into your belt because I'm about to do something. I'm going to do something. Get yourself ready. And what I want to say is this, is I believe that our holiness is not necessarily, can I really get on with you? I believe that there's something supernatural about our community together, which we do have to prepare for. But actually, it'd be something beautiful that God says, that we have the rich and the poor, the old and the young, 
the single and the married, the educated and the uneducated together, because God says, I'm going to do something there. Be prepared. And so this is not just, oh, can I force you into a group, or can I get you to a coster? It's almost actually, God is going to do something in my heart that is totally supernatural. And people will look at this place and say, wow, God is in this place. Let's respond anyway with a song.